Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Contemporary Service. We're so excited that you're joining us for worship today. If you're joining us from the live stream, hello and welcome. Throw a hello in the chat for us. Let us know you're worshiping with us this morning. If you didn't grab an action card, maybe you make your way out to the to the north or the narthex, the Great Hall here at some point, and grab one there on this table right over here. During communion, you're welcome to bring those up, drop them in the basket. We'd love to know that you're here. It also gives you opportunities to serve, ways you can get involved. And we're going to kick off worship as we do each week with some music. Why don't you stand and join us as we sing.
sing this together. Falling on my knees in worship. you to safely and distantly pass the peace of Christ to those around you.
to my elbows now. Ever be 
sing your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my lips your praise will ever be on my lips ever be on my Thank you, Matt. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, I like that. Good morning. I'm Pastor Jill. So glad you're joining us for our 11 o'clock contemporary worship this morning. I want to make sure that you know of a few key things happening here at Noblesville First. Tonight at 5.30 is our Outside In Youth Group event. We've been really excited about this. It is 5.30 to 8 p.m. Our announcements say 8.30, but 8 p.m. is when it ends. It's going to be in here in Celebration Hall. We're going to have pickleball, nine squares, some other, I think, cornhole, right? Some other games you might expect to be outside, but we're moving them in. So there's going to be food, fun, and fellowship. Our new student director of ministry, uh, David, and his family will be here. So hope to see all of our youth group out this evening for that. And then um, tomorrow at uh, 7 o'clock p.m. in Celebration Hall, right here, is our Martin Luther King Jr. celebration. And our stewardship video here in just a moment, we'll share more information about that. But we hope to see you come out tomorrow evening for that very special evening of worship together. And then uh, one last key thing is our blood drive is coming up also. And you get a free pair of socks. I love those. So come out on the 24th um, from 2 to 6 p.m. You can sign up for a time slot on our church website. And please make a note, um, everything on your bulletin this, e this morning. <laughs> and um, our mom's group is actually being moved to April. So scratch that off your list. We're going to postpone that because of COVID and a few other items that are um, just not, not a great time to, for the, our moms to meet right now. So April, that will be postponed a little bit. And third to fifth graders are getting their Bibles on um, January 30th. So if you have a child in that age group, Make sure to check out that announcement as well. And now let's take a moment and uh, watch our stewardship video for this morning. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I want to personally invite you to come to the Martin Luther King Jr. celebration. It's going to be held at Noblesville First in our celebration hall this coming Monday, January 17th 
at 7 p.m. We're encouraging you to wear masks. Matter of fact, we're asking you to wear masks just to keep everybody safe. We think the crowd will be a number that we can easily spread out, so hopefully we'll keep the transmission spread uh, to a minimum. We have a lot planned. We have a great speaker, Kara Herring, who's Governor Holcomb's appointed person. She's the chief officer for diversity, equity, and opportunity for the state of Indiana. So she's going to bring a great perspective. She uh, last worked for Notre Dame University and has a lot, lot to share with us about the dreams she has for the state of Indiana. We also have Mary Jensen that will introduce her and share some comments. We have our Indiana Senior Senator Todd Young, who's coming, who will share some comments. Uh, our own United Methodist Bishop uh, Julius Trimble will be here as well. And our music will be a choir ensemble organized by Dr. Jeff Wright and the Noblesville West Middle School uh, Choir. So come early because we have some art projects that were organized by the North Elementary art teacher, Lisa Fritz. And then we'll hear a presentation by the Noblesville High School students regarding their new mural, We Are Human. I'm Norman Williams. I'm a member of Noblesville First United Methodist. I kind of got involved with the MLK program when, when Pastor Jerry and I had some conversations about five years ago. And, you know, I've always kind of, I come from a family that's been very active in civil rights and in social justice. Uh, my grandmother actually took a social justice class that was um, taught by John Lewis. Um, I've been working with the Noblesville Diversity Coalition. Uh, I've been part of the MLK planning committee for a year, just trying to do whatever I can to, to be part of making some of the changes that we want to see as far as civil rights and social justice around for the MLK program, putting together um, something that's a, an adaptation of excerpts of Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail. Hope to see everyone there. I think it's going to be, be a very powerful and moving experience. forward to see you this coming Monday at 7 p.m. here in Celebration Hall. I'm Bonnie Zickraff with the Pastoral Care Team here at Noblesville First United Methodist Church. And today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 38, which read, Some Sadducees, who deny that there's a resurrection, came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a widow but no children, the brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first man married a woman and then died childless. The second and then the third brother married her. Eventually all seven married her and they all died without leaving any children. Finally, the woman died too. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? All seven were married to her. Jesus said to them, People who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to participate in that age, that is, in the age of the resurrection from the dead, won't marry, nor will they be given in marriage. They can no longer die because they are like angels and are God's children since they share in the resurrection. Even Moses demonstrated that the dead are raised. In the passage about the burning bush, 
when he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He isn't the God of the dead, but of the living. To him, they are all alive. We are thankful to God for the gift of scripture. Amen. Amen. I love when I hear giggles during the, the scripture. That's always a good sign. So this week is week two of our series on trick questions and Jesus's enduring answers. And Bonnie summed it up well. She goes, hmm, yes. So trick questions. And this time it's about the complexities of the resurrection, the afterlife, intimate relationships such as marriage and how all of those work together in this life and in the next. Now last week I mentioned some of the trick questions that my son Xavier asked me from time to time. Uh, the one this week was, Mom, do fish have eyelids? Do they sleep? As we were looking at our fish tank and we had to look it up, right? But we didn't think they had eyelids. But we did Google it and sure enough, fish do not have eyelids, they sleep with their eyes open. So in case you were wondering. Well, one particular question though stands out to me when I think of this trick question asked of Jesus. And that was when Xavier asked me where our dog went after we had to put him down just over two years ago. I picked up Xavier from daycare that day after spending some time grieving on my own at home. And in the car, I calmly told him that our dog, Cole, was no longer with us. I had prepared him slightly for this when I explained that our dog was getting very old and very sick, and I didn't know how much longer he would have to be with us. After being quiet for a few moments, Xavier asked, he said, okay, mom, but where did Cole go if he is no longer here? I said, that's a good question, buddy, and one I don't 100% know the answer to, but I think we can guess that he's somewhere peaceful and happy. Xavier seemed satisfied with that answer, but I could see his little brain working overtime as he continued to think about it. So questions of the afterlife have always felt like trick questions to me, and probably to you, because we don't really know 100%. Now, as a person of faith and even as a pastor, I confess to you this morning that I still struggle with this one. Because when I was growing up, I was really never taught anything about the afterlife or a concept of heaven. I would hear people say things like, well, she's in heaven now, or he's in a better place. And I would hear about angels or guardian angels and even went through a phase where my sister and I were convinced that we had ghosts in our house although they were friendly. <laughs> but I was never really taught anything about what happens after we die. Now, I'm sure I wondered and I had questions, but I chose to embrace those questions rather than try to find out exactly what happens, because there are no answers, right? But when my mom and I began attending a Jewish temple and we adopted the Jewish faith, I learned that the Jewish faith, or at least the branch of Judaism that we were a part of, didn't really have a concept of the afterlife. Instead of focusing on what happens when we die, the idea was to have a righteous life on earth, here and now. And when a person dies, the thought was that he or she lives on through their good deeds or the memories and stories that were shared by the people who love them. 
And every year on the anniversary of that person's death, the names are read aloud in the temple as part of the worship service, and the Kaddish prayer, which is the mourner's prayer, was said by everyone who was there. And this is the way that we kept people alive in our hearts. Heaven, or hell, is simply just not a concern in more modern branches of the Jewish faith, and the focus is on the best life that we can live here and now for God and for others. And I always liked this idea because it made sense to me. So you might imagine that when I began to explore the Christian faith, that this concept of heaven was very strange to me. Is heaven an actual place we go when we die? Is it a state of mind? Is it here on earth? Is it something that we hope for? Is it all the above, perhaps? Is it the experience of God that that peace that passes all understanding is finally what we experience when this life is over? Well, the Bible has so many different ideas about the concept of heaven, especially in the New Testament, that's really hard to pin down exactly what it is, what it looks like, and what Jesus is talking about when he mentions the kingdom of heaven. But at the end of the day, I do find myself believing in some kind of heaven, and in fact, having many definitions of it. That's the thing about heaven, is that it's this divine mystery, and yet also a promise, and a beautiful one that we can explore together. Unfortunately, the Sadducees did not have a friendly conversation in mind when they confronted Jesus with this question. And at first, it doesn't really sound contentious. But if we take a moment to consider who the Sadducees are and how they related to Jesus, it begins to make a little more sense. So the Sadducees were the elite Jerusalem-based religious group at the time of Jesus. They held the power and authority in almost every aspect of Jewish life and faith. The Roman authorities backed them up on much of what they did. They were known for their wealth and their corruption as well as their strict religious devotion. They controlled the two most important institutions of Jewish society of the time, the temple in Jerusalem and the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin ruled over the religious and legal aspects of the Jewish people. Now, they held different beliefs from the Pharisees, who we tend to hear a little more about in the Gospels. So take a look at this little handy chart here. So the Pharisees upheld the law or the Torah, as well as other pieces of scripture that have law in them, while the Sadducees were more focused on the temple aspect, the Pharisees were more likely to have a more free interpretation of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, where the Sadducees were the Torah alone, and they had a literal understanding of the Torah. Pharisees were middle class, Sadducees were more upper class. Pharisees believed in some kind of resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not. The Pharisees believed in an afterlife. The Sadducees did not. The Pharisees rejected the Jewish leaders and the Roman authorities, while the Sadducees more embraced that part of society of the time. So they had different interpretations, different understandings, and they believed, the Sadducees believed that the Torah was the only written authority on how to live out faith and life. So they not only rejected this idea of an afterlife, but they did not believe in anything supernatural and did not feel that God played a role in the personal lives of human beings. 
and they believe that the soul dies with the body. Now, we don't know too much more about the, the Sadducees because they disappeared around 70 AD with the destruction of the Second Temple, and none of their writings have survived. What we do know about them comes from the Pharisees, who were their opposing group, so we don't really have much positive comments about the Sadducees because their opponents were writing about them, but we have a little bit of information. So knowing that the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection or an afterlife makes their question to Jesus even more tricky and even somewhat humorous, right? Think about this. They're saying, Jesus, what's going to happen to this woman in the afterlife? And Jesus is going, wait a minute, why are you guys asking me this if you don't believe in it, right? So let's think about what, what they're asking. This poor woman, right? She was, because she was female at the time, she was considered, unfortunately, lower class. And she was expected to marry and have children. And when she didn't have children and her husband passed away, she was expected to marry each male in that family and so on. So it's almost theatrical because hopefully she wouldn't actually have to marry seven men. <laughs> Bonnie's going, no, no thanks, no thanks. So the whole thing is just kind of this blown out of proportion, humorous question for a number of reasons. But Jesus' enduring answer is one that challenges us to ponder the meaning of the resurrection, new life, and the concept of heaven. Well, what in the world is Jesus talking about when he talks about heaven? Again, I think that heaven is something that we should wrestle with and redefine and reclaim because it seems that we've really lost sight of the meaning of it in the midst of some of our cultural understandings out there. So I read the book a few years ago called Heaven is for Real. Anybody read this one? A few. There was a movie, I think, too, that came out uh, about this, this really cute five-year-old boy who awakens from a near-death experience and tells his family in detail about going to heaven and meeting Jesus. Now, there are countless stories like this out there, and we're drawn into them. We're really fascinated by them. Because is it really something that they experienced, we wonder? Is it a dream or a vision? We just don't know. And so these stories grab us, and we enter into that mystery together. But if we read closely, Jesus gives us a glimpse of heaven. But it may not be the glimpse that we have become accustomed to. So if you Google the word heaven, you will get many pictures of what that might look like. Here's a good example. It's this otherworldly place with light and clouds being suspended in space and time of golden streets and golden gates, places that may not exist in our world as we know it. But for Jesus, heaven was deeply connected to what we would call this age and the age to come. The Sadducees were not asking a question about a magical place beyond our understanding. Because people in Jesus' first century Jewish world did not necessarily talk about a future life somewhere else because they anticipated instead a coming day or a coming age when the world would be restored and redeemed, renewed, a resurrection of new life as we know it. They anticipated that to come on the earth. Jesus then doesn't come to tell people how to get into heaven. He tells them how to live in this age and the age to come that they might bring about this age of peace and redemption. 
Today, we might call this age an era or a period of time. Another way of saying life in the age to come was eternal life, which is the Hebrew phrase olam haba, olam haba, eternal life or the age to come. The trick question then to Jesus was about how marriage relationships, or perhaps any intimate relationship of any kind, will be in the age to come, or possibly about how to help usher in the new age. The word for age is aeon, aeon, which does not mean forever, like we have come to understand the word eternal. Aeon was a word that meant an undetermined period of time. That's what Jesus means when he talks about the age to come. So people of Jesus' day hoped for an age to come, or an aeon, where peace would reign on earth. Life in the age to come would be heaven on earth, an age where all people and nations come together and God will swallow up death, war, and pain forever, where all will partner with God to usher in the age to come, when there is no more injustice or pride or violence or division, intolerance or exploitation or hunger or disease. This is the day of the Lord, when God says, enough. But in order to participate in the promise of the age to come, we have to confess our role in the ways that we have corrupted the world. So when asked the question about to whom the woman will be married in the resurrection, Jesus' response is basically, how do you make sure that you will be part of the new thing that God is doing in the age to come? Are you doing your part to create positive relationships to uplift people around you now? And the answer is to live the commandments, to live how God wants you to live, to become a person of peace and justice, participating in the ordering of the world, making order out of chaos, standing for peace and love. Jesus tells the Sadducees that in the age to come, marriage will not be necessary because the kind of friendship and intimacy hoped for in marriage will be for all people to experience with, with one another and in relationship with God. We can think of what heaven might be like, but it just would not be heaven without those that we love the most, would it? Our intimate relationships are then a foretaste of the resurrection. Now, one of my favorite movies of all time is What Dreams May Come. Anybody seen that one? with Robin Williams. Well, if you do see it, grab a box of tissues. <laughs> but Robin Williams plays a man named Chris. And Chris tragically dies in a car accident just several years after his children also tragically died in a car accident. When his life ends, he finds himself in a heaven that is created for him. In his life on earth, his wife, Annie, was a painter. So we'll take a look at what his heaven looks like and how that means big things for him. See, we're all pretty insecure at first, so we see ourselves somewhat safe, comforting. We all paint our own surroundings, Chris, but you're the first guy I know to use real paint. There's so much here if she didn't paint. Like that bird. And he gave you a start, sort of like holding on to handrails. Now you're creating an entire world here from your imagination, from paintings you love, anything you want. Why doesn't it move? It'll move when you want it to. 
I didn't do that. <laughs> he says no, but I did. I did. Hopefully there will not be bird poop in heaven, but you never know. I, I don't know. But as the story goes on, however, we learn that tragically, Chris's wife, Annie, ends her own life because out of her grief and loss, losing both her husband and her children. And then Annie is not, in fact, in heaven, but in this film's portrayal of a hell or a purgatory. So Chris decides that heaven is not really heaven at all without his soulmate and the love of his life. So he sets off in the afterlife to rescue Annie from literally the depths of hell, risking his own eternity in heaven in order to be with him. So the story does have a happy and very tear-jerking ending, spoilers. The family is reunited in heaven, the heaven that we saw in the, in the clip, and the heaven as Jesus might have described in his enduring answer, a place where our most intimate and loving relationships are at the center of our being. And if we can have that here and now to make that possible, as well as in the age to come. We also learn that through Jesus, that heaven is full of surprises. Hopefully not bird poop, but full of surprises. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast worked through dough to make bread. The kingdom of heaven is a banquet where the most unlikely guests have invitations. The kingdom of heaven is where the first become the last, and the last become the first. And Jesus wants us to be a part of it. Whether heaven is within the blink of an eye or as far away as the day when heaven and earth are one. Heaven is here and now, but it's also something that we hope for. Jesus came so that we might know peace and that we might co-create a world of shalom, of that peace with him. Rob Bell, who wrote Love Wins years ago, says that when Jesus talks about heaven, he's talking about our present, eternal, intense, and real experiences of joy, peace, and love in this life, this side of death, and the age to come. Not just someday, but a present reality. Eternal life doesn't start when we die, it starts now. It's not about a life that begins in death, it's about experiencing the kind of life now that can endure and survive even death. So what's standing in our way of heaven? What obstacles do you have that might be keeping you from experiencing heaven here and now? What gifts can you offer for the sake of the kingdom here and now? And what is your role in ushering in the kingdom on earth? Because there is a heaven now, and somewhere else. There's a heaven here, 
for some time else. And then there's Jesus' invitation to heaven here and now, in this moment, in this place. We might not know what the heaven of the future looks like. We might not know exactly what happens after this life. That is uncertain. But we do know that there are glimpses of heaven now. There is community, joy, new life, resurrection, gifts of love and mercy, acts of love and charity. Heaven is as simple as being in the embrace of a friend or a loved one, or as extreme as an act of sacrifice on your behalf. So the question of the Sadducees remains, in the resurrection or the age to come, what will our earthly relationships look like? How will we get there? And is there a resurrection at all? Who can enter into the kingdom of heaven? Each one of us. How do we get there? By getting rid of everything that prohibits us with intimacy with God. By tearing down the walls that divide and separate us from others. By setting aside our pride and our divisions, our grudges and our judgments. By being open to the glimpses of heaven on earth. And by celebrating the intimacy of God-given relationships friendships, and lifelong companions, by being a part of building up the kingdom of God, by believing the good news that whatever the resurrection entails, God is with us. God is with us. Amen. I invite you to enter in now to a time of prayer. We'll have a few moments of silence, followed by a pastoral prayer, and then we'll say the Lord's Prayer together. Let us pray. God of heaven and earth, we thank you that no matter what is in store for us, whether here or in the age to come, that you are with us. You challenge us to help usher in the kingdom of heaven. You challenge us to think about the ways that we love, the ways that we serve, and the ways that we are in all of our relationships. So God, we thank you for the glimpses of heaven that we have now. And we thank you for whatever it is that awaits us. We thank you for these trick questions that we can wrestle with them right alongside Jesus and hear what he has to say. May we never forget that faith is about those tough questions and how we can learn about you through them. And Lord, today we are mindful of the relationships in our lives that are perhaps broken or our need of extra care and repair. So we pray for each and every person in this room as well as those we lift up this morning. Perhaps we are seeking answers. Perhaps we are grieving. Perhaps we lift up those that we know have COVID this week and in the weeks to come. We pray for healing. 
Lord, today we lift up prayers, especially for our community, for our nation and our world, for all places that are hurting, for all places that are in need to see glimpses of heaven. And tomorrow, God, as we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his legacy, may we be mindful of his courage, of the justice that he spoke of, and for the sacrificial love that he taught us. May we follow his example to seek justice for all persons. And may we remember, and may we carry on his legacy in our lives. And Lord, whatever weighs us down today, we surrender it to you in this time and this space. We also lift up our joys. We give thanks for the meeting, the happiness, and the gifts that we have. May we never forget to celebrate, to love, and to lift up everything that is yours. And Lord, we ask all of this and so much more in the name of Jesus, our Savior, who invites us to pray together the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
like these with messages about the Pharisees and the Sadducees trying to trip up Jesus that I'm reminded how often the people who are supposedly in charge of the church mess it up and they try to get all these rules and they try to get all these things put in place of how to connect and the dots and, and deal with every single little minute situation bring their, their questions, their traps, their whatever to Jesus, and I can just, I can just feel Jesus just going, <sighs> every time, 
because we missed it. <laughs> We're trying so hard to trap somebody in something that Jesus is like, guys, just, just stop. It's not that hard. I love you. God loves you. Love other people. Stop trying to make it about this next thing that we have to check off a list. Stop trying to make it about then and there and realize that there's so much to do now and here. And it's stories like these this morning that remind me that I'm one of those religious people. I like lists. I like things that are orderly and make it easy to follow. And I know there are times when Jesus looks at me and just says, Matt, it's not that hard. And so I'm thankful. I'm thankful for times like now that we each week get the opportunity to approach the table of the Lord to do something as simple as eat some bread and drink some juice and remember who Jesus was in the life that he lived, a life of love, of feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and loosing the chains of injustice. I hope this morning you get the opportunity to approach the altar and know that no matter what you bring, Jesus is there. There are going to be days that you come and he has a sigh for you, and that's okay. Because the sigh is never not accompanied by open arms, ready to love and embrace and bring you back into a fold again. So today, as you approach the altar, as you come forward for communion, I invite you to do so boldly and ready to receive the open arms of Jesus. Here in the Methodist Church, we believe in an open table, which means you don't have to be a member of this church or any church to share with us in communion. The only thing we ask is that you desire a deeper relationship with God. Here in a minute after we pray, the table will be open and you can come in the basket. There are communion cups. You can grab one. You can take it back to your seat if you like. You can kneel here at the altar, say a prayer, light a candle, whatever it is today that draws you in to worship with Jesus Christ. As we remember, we remember the night that Jesus was killed. He was eating with his friends broke bread and he blessed it and he gave it to his friends and he said, eat all of you. This is my body, which is for you. And after supper, he took a cup and he blessed it and he gave it to his friends and he said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we do ask today that you fill this place, that you fill this place with your presence, with your love, with your mercy, that it would press in on us from all sides, and that we would open ourselves to you again this morning.
God, whatever we bring today, whatever we're going to carry up to the altar with us, we would allow your love to permeate us, to help us leave different than we came. Father, we thank you for this opportunity as we do each week. And we ask that you make these gifts of food and drink for us to be the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The table is open, friends. Come. you to stand and join us as we sing.
thank you so much for joining us this morning for worship. We now invite you to go in the faith and the knowledge that whenever Jesus was asked about then and there, he always seemed to want to talk about here and now. Go in peace. <laughs>